G'day, welcome back to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and as always, thank you for joining me. I'm recording this one on Wadarung Country, and I'd like to extend my respects and acknowledge the country wherever you're taking our podcast this week. This week is part of an episode series that we've teamed up with MLA, Meat and Livestock Australia, to chat to a few different people involved in red meat in Australia. We had Sam Burke a few weeks ago, and today I'm joined by Sandra Ison. I first came across Sandra's work with her involvement in the Hay Inc. program. There'll be a little bit more on this later in the episode. As some of you are aware, livestock prices and dry seasonal conditions are a little bit different to what has been experienced over the last few years. So up front, I wanted to just check in on Sandra, how she's getting on, how they're approaching it, and how her and her husband are using the experience to prepare and manage through these uncertain times. Sandra's home is a little town called Bulligal in southwestern New South Wales. It's out on the Hay Plains. I think over the years, like what they've gone through is they've had farmland that was bought back, turned into national parks. Sandra mentions that the local school is actually closing down at the end of the year. And it really just gave me a little bit of perspective in terms of some of the challenges that rural communities and people need to overcome. With no local school, it means that kids will either turn to school of the air or they need to travel further afield for their education. About 10 years ago, Sandra and a few others started Hay Inc. It's a program to bring city kids to rural communities to show them the hands-on lifestyle of what's involved in farming and agriculture. Today, it's still going all guns blazing and it's still connecting local people in the community and city kids. And they've got more than 130 alumni. Sandra is one of those people who seems to juggle a whole lot. She volunteers on various community groups, she's got the family farming business, and she also wants to contribute to the industry, and she's been involved with a few different programs through Meat and Livestock Australia, like the School Kids and Farmer Question Times. How on earth she fits it all in, I don't know. You might get a little bit more of an insight into this, but let's jump into it. I was looking at your background, and I was looking at your LinkedIn, and you've got about nine different job titles, Sandra, ranging from running your own business, co-founder of the Thriving Women event, family-owned beef cattle producer, a suite of skills in communications and projects, and then on top of that, mum as well, and God knows what other unlisted jobs and things you take up in the community as well. But how are you getting on out there? Oh, look, we're going really well. Thanks, Ollie. Yes, I do have a few different hats that I wear, but you know, it keeps life entertaining and it's very challenging and very rewarding. And things are going quite well out here at Bulligal. We've had a really good winter, which is great, unlike some others in the East, I feel for them, but definitely drying out now and yeah, making some of those tough decisions. And can you tell me, what are some of those tough decisions that you guys are making? Are you just cattle? We're both predominantly cattle and we just have a few hundred sheep, which we use um, just in a prime lamb. To Griffith, we sell those just as fat lambs, but we do have some irrigation too, but we use that for producing pasture, hay. So we've got a bit of a stockpile there. So planning, yeah, we've just finished preg testing heifers yesterday and yeah, looking to, to offload the empties. But on a falling market, it's a little bit challenging. So a bit more time in the office and uh, crunching those numbers. I bet spending lots of time looking at what's happening in different places for you. Yeah, I mean, we've been here on our property here, my husband and I, since early, oh gosh, 18 years on this property. So, you know, we had some really tough times in 2009 and 10 when the river was stopped. So, you know, you draw on those experiences in the past and go, okay, here we go again. We've had a couple of good ones. So, you know, and I think having that experience just makes it easier. And I, you know, feel for people that haven't had that experience to draw on. And uh, yeah, it can be really, really tough sometimes. So how do you guys approach it? Because this is something I'm really interested in, given that like you've gone through hard times before, but we know that 
we are looking at a drier, hotter summer and what we're recording this, kind of the middle of September. So the temperature gauge is probably starting to creep up a little bit um, and out of the blue as well. But So what do you draw on and how do you kind of get yourself ready and, and what does it look like in the house to, as you come into an unpredictable summer? I guess it's funny. My husband's father used to always say, sell and repent, but sell. So, you know, bringing those numbers down, we, you know, we bred up quite well over the last couple of seasons since 2020. Um, we got back down to, you know, in the 2019 drought, just a third of our breeders. And so we've bred back up and have great numbers now. So it's just that cutting back numbers, looking um uh, what options we have, how much feed is in the paddock. You know, we've had a great season, so we have a lot of feed there, so we know we can get through for a while. But just, yeah, just planning who's going to leave first, <laughs> the cattle, you know, and the options that are out there and what feed supplies and storage that we may have. So um, we've been yeah, stockpiling our, our hay and things like that too. But being out here, rangelands, it's... um. You know, it's either too wet or too dry. So coming off the big floods this time last year, we had to, uh, you know, get into our paddocks and four-wheelers and things like that last year. So it's just a huge turnaround. But thinking about what's happened in the past and what worked and what didn't and trying not to get too caught up in the the hype and the, the media about how bad it is and how bad it's going to be. And it's just part of your business. You've just got to think this is just, okay, another challenge. Here we go. Which is a bit like last year with the floods too. You know, there were cattle that we probably were meant to get out, sell off last year that didn't happen. So we're still holding on to those, which is a little bit disappointing now, but um, that's the way of farming. So yeah. It is. Dorothy McKellar wasn't wrong, was she, when she talked about droughts and flooding rains? It certainly seems to, to ring true in Australia, and it just seems to be a pendulum swinging from one to the other at the moment. That's right. And, you know, the weather you can deal with and stuff, sometimes the government decisions and things like that that affect your business can be a lot harder to deal with because you can see that the challenge that it's put on you. So that's, yeah, that's another sort of side of the business. I guess everyone that is in the red meat game at the moment is challenged with this dramatic fall in prices and handling those budgets is can be tough, really tough, especially when it's come so quickly. I think everyone was pretty happy with how things were, were ticking along the last couple of years and, yeah, here we go again. Yeah, it certainly felt like it moved quickly and there were just so many numbers, wasn't there? There was huge like breeding numbers for both cattle and sheep and then you start to hit an oversupply. It can move very quickly. Yeah, that's right, Ollie. Yeah, it's that whole supply and demand thing, isn't it? And uh, back to that quote, sell and repent, but sell. And we, <laughs> we always keep that in the back of our mind. And then when we sell, we go, oh, glad we did that. <laughs> it <Yeah>. usually <laughs> comes back around. <laughs> Put it up on the wall. Now, Sandra, I'm interested because you grew up as a, you're a seventh generation from the Snowy Mountains. You're now in the Hay Plains, geographically slightly different terrain that you found yourself growing up in. But <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. Coming out to the ha flat hay plains was definitely a different environment. I came here and my husband took me around while well, we're going out there at his family property and he goes, oh, we're in the creek now. And I'm going, that is not a creek. <laughs> like, really? And so flat. I mean, hay being, you know, the one of the flattest places in the Southern Hemisphere and beautiful saltbush plains and, uh, and snow mountains was, you know, treeless as well on the Monero where I grew up, but hills and rocks and things like that. So, you know, environment was totally different to what I'd come from. But I don't miss that freezing cold <laughs> that came from the Monero. But it was lovely having my family still there, my brother and his children and grandchildren now. They're on our family property, which is really lovely to have them still over there, which is great. So we share a lot of knowledge together and, and chat about things. So I have a few sisters too, but they, they live in the cities. 
So coming to Hay in the Bulligal area, so we're north of Hay at Bulligal on the Lachlan River, it was a great community to come into. I actually didn't really know anyone over here, but since moving here, there's been actually quite a few girls from the Monero that have moved over to the Hay Plains. So at, actually at our wedding, one of the uh, telegrams was stop the export of Monero brides to the Western Riverina, <laughs> to the Hay Plains. <laughs> So, yes, that was a telegram at our wedding. So, yeah, that, which has been great. So there's uh, some good connections there. They're very welcoming community, the Hay community. And when I first moved here, I became the first woman on the Hay Cutters Rugby Club Committee. So that was a great way to meet a lot of people and get straight into the community. And, yeah, still involved in that rugby club committee 30 years later, So which is great. There's nothing quite like getting into a country town, is there, and, and joining the sporting team. So... We better get the update. Were the Hay Cutters in a grand final or something recently? Oh, yes, they were. They just won the grand final. They're great for Southern Riverina in Wagga, which is great. It's been 12 years since they'd won, so that was exciting. And, yeah, my husband, Matt, was one of the sort of assistant coaches and he'd coached for a couple of years. So, so it was sort of a three-year campaign because we sort of – 2020, we were going well. So it's such a great – great sport to get, you know, especially young people. The K-Cutters has a lot of young guys that work in ag and they, you know, they'd be 100Ks or more out of town and it's great for them to come in and, and socialise. It's a really good social event for them. So, yeah, they did win the grand final. So that was fantastic. So it's great to, to be part of those sports. So the other thing that I got really involved in when I came to, to Bulligal area too was the, we set up and started the Bulligal Sheep Races, which was 30 odd years ago now. So we had sort of 20 of years of it so that was great so they are coming up again too soon so a very big thing for our small community with uh Bulligal only has like one teacher school and one pub so getting together and a great fundraiser for all the different organizations so moving to a new district and starting up a new event was great and I learned so many of my PR skills and got some great media contacts, which I still use now. And I learned so much from just doing that as a volunteer that I can take into businesses now, which was a great learning experience. And there's one other sporting team we better mention, Sandra, as well, the Hay Lions, the AFL team. They won their grand final on the weekend as well. It's amazing what you can learn through social media. Yeah, they did. Fantastic. <laughs> and they hadn't won it for 28 years. And then two of their, their teams, their under-17s and their B-reserve won as well. So they're the whole three teams that were in the grand final won. So, so good for our Hay community. And, you know, we've also got the rugby league team, Hay Magpies, as well in Hay. So for a really small community of only, you know, 2,500 people to have three sporting codes over the winter period is huge. So it's very sporting town and communities is, and that is really part of the community of Hay and brings people together. So, yeah, great to have some wins on the board. It is. Now, Sandra, I want to talk more a little bit about you rather than the town of Hay and Bulligal. And I think naturally it's all going to come in together. But for you, growing up on the Monaro, what were the aspirations? What were the things that you wanted to pursue? And, and was agriculture on the cards for you? Yeah, agriculture was always on the cards for me. We grew up very hands-on working on our farm with parents. Mum didn't sort of do as much outside. She was more handling the inside things and was also a preschool teacher part-time. So Dad had us out. We were very much um, riding horses, mustering most of the time. And, you know, we'd be coming over the rocky hills with the mob of sheep and he'd see us, you know, from, from the yards or hear us yelling at the sheep. And all of a sudden a little kelpie would come out and help us get them through the gate. So, yeah, was after school we'd ride and we yeah, caught the bus into town into to Nimitabel for for primary school and into Takuma for high school so very much ag orientated yeah so I obviously then went off to university 
in Wagga actually and I have a twin sister and she actually studied a visual art so I was the ag one and she did the art scene and then um, I actually left that job and worked in the Snowy Mountains in Threadbow for a while. I left the university, sorry, and worked in Threadbow for a while because I just went straight out of school, wasn't ready to study, wasn't sure if it was what I really wanted to do. So, And then did end up going back to uni and um, getting my ag course there done. So that was great and met so much, so many people there. But uni holidays for me were coming back onto the Monero and helping out in the shearing sheds, rouseabouting. My brother was doing a lot of shearing as well. So I'd go along as a rouseabout, which was great. Let's shear a couple of sheep back then. And yeah, a lot of sheep and wool. And I must say, I am not a fan of sheep as much now as I am cattle. So I... um, Which, yeah, I like them on paper sometimes, like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm still, which is, yeah, have to be, be careful where I say that. But I, um, yeah, have fallen in love with cattle since uh, falling in love with the husband and moving to the hay plains, I think. And the area you're in now, hay, has certainly been pretty renowned over the years for a bit of a gap year. I know it's been a bit of a rite of passage for people, especially in the sheep industry over the years. I know my cousin did it probably, God, he'd have to be nearly. Th- He'll have me saying this like 35, nearly 40 years ago. He was up there and then other friends and things started to go through. It's changed, hasn't it? The need for jackaroos and younger people, and I guess the interest of younger people has actually dropped off from what it used to be in the roaring days. Yes, it has. Um, I think when I first moved out to Hay, what's that, 30 years ago, there was like 70 to 80 jackaroo, jillaroos working in the community. You know, the rugby club had three teams. You know, this now we're battling to get one. So, you know, we lost that, you know, water buybacks, national park buy-ups, that land management changes, you know, people bringing in contractors, which is a shame because there was such a good, vibrant community. It was just so fun. And, you know, all the sporting teams in Hay were full and it is a rite of passage. And, you know, seeing that population lost and I noticed it really well when my eldest child was born in 1998, I turned around one day and, and noticed that, you know, 12 of the families that had moved to the community or that had first children when I had mine had left the district. So, in 2011, the Hay had the second fastest falling population in the country in the census in 2011. So it wasn't something that we promoted. I was doing some work with tourism and economic development then in Hay and it was a challenging time because young people were leaving, jobs weren't there. And on top of that, you know, the, the, young, the young people that came through that Jillaroo Jackaroo program of where they're learning from older generations and on farm disappeared too. So from that, I guess we're leading into that's how we sort of set up the Hay Inc. Rural Education Program because we wanted to get those young people back into our community and let them learn from the older generations, learn from people in the industry, not just through an online or on a textbook or something like that. It, it's really a community, being part of that community. So, yeah, it has been a big change in population for Hay and, yeah, it was it has was challenging times there. Interesting. You mentioned before your local town, Bulligal. So do you have one teacher school? Yes, we're fortunate to have a one-teacher school and I have three children now and they're all grown up. When I first started having my first child, uh, the school closed. So a lot of families from around Hay go through Hay School of the Air too. So I was sort of faced with having to teach School of the Air and that was something I did not think I have the skills for or the patience (laughs) with my children. So did a lot of lobbying to get that school reopened. So sent my son as a four-year-old in kindergarten so we had enough numbers and then repeated him so that we could get that school reopened, which was great. And it was 
was open for 20 years. It's just closed again now, which is a bit disappointing, but um, there's some numbers coming on, so hopefully they'll be able to to reopen that again. And that has been great for Bulligal. And, you know, we've got a pub there too, and it's a real hub of our community with the school. And the people in our town are great, but mostly people travelled, you know, 30 to 40 k's into the school as well. So, and we do one day a week in Hay as well. So I was very fortunate to have that school for our three kids. So, yeah, most of them, the three of them were in in the same classroom the whole time and they were at primary school. So I knew everything that was going on with each of them. (laughs) (laughs) It was a lot of dobbing. (laughs) How fun. What special memories for them as well. Oh, yeah, we'd great. And people would travel in, and especially the ones with kids doing School of the Air, and we'd have tennis nights, um, and the kids would all have run around, and we'd just have a sausage chisel. And that, you know, it was a great community and great growing up experience for the, our kids with our little school close by. It was really fun. So let's keep talking about Hank, because I know we, we only just kind of started to touch on it. There was a, a loss of skills, uh, and you saw the opportunity and, and wanted to bring people back together for it. So tell me. Who was involved in getting Haying up and going and just that purpose behind it? Yeah, well, I was really lucky that in 2012 I was doing a National Rural Women's Coalition started an e-leaders program. So it was an online leadership program and that was the inaugural one. So I was lucky to be selected to do that. And amazingly, my internet worked really well then. And we had webinars and who would have thought? And (laughs) It was great. So I connected with women right across Australia. There was 20 of us and just learning from what they were doing in their communities was so rewarding. And I also, then part of that course, we had to do a um, project for our community, all our industry. So it was also around the time of the live export ban and how that flow on affected us. I have family up in the Northern Territory, my twin sisters up there, you know, how that affected us was a big thing that I sort of went to the, promoted a bit too, because it was like, I was just really shocked with what happened with that in that young people or anyone didn't know where their food came from and that's the first way they learned how their food came from was from that shocking video and I just thought of all those animals but all those poor people in Indonesia that all of a sudden have their protein source cut off and what was going to happen to those families. So the light bulb moment for me was like really... My son was in year seven in boarding school in Sydney and, you know, they were going around asking them to sign these petitions to ban the live export. And he sort of was on the phone going, Mum, what's what's all this mean? Like and I also at the time was in Darwin. I went up for a week for the a couple of days for the Isolated Children's Parents Association, which was I'm a member of on the committee. And it was the same time that so many families were there, so affected by what was happening. The emotion in that conference was horrendous and it's just stayed with me. And I think it's been a bit of that driving force of we need to educate people about where their food comes from and how it's produced. And from that, I decided to bring 25 city boys from a boarding school in Sydney to Hay for a week's learning about, not just about agriculture, but about living in a small community and what's available there. And I thought, you know, one day I said to the boys, I said, so you're all keen to do ag, is that why you're here? And they went, oh no, mum and dad just said we had to come. So they were year 10s. It was the year that they stopped the school certificate and they, the school wanted them to go and do an experience. So I just sort of 
set up this week with them. They caught the bus down and it was funny. I had talking to parents. It was all the communication with the parents, which I was like, oh, I thought it would be with the kids. But they, you know, sent the kids on the bus and they're like, oh, 12 hours on a bus. Are you sure they're going to be okay? And I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our kids do it all the time. Like, So we had a bushfire. They ended up that Hay had an old um, boarding hostel. So it was all set up and people were still it was shut down, not as a hostel anymore, but the facilities were there. So that was great. They all stayed there. And the feedback was amazing. We had, you know, parents sending letters saying they talked about the chocolate cake they ate on the riverbank too. And I just thought these young boys could be our future prime ministers. If they, this is one chance that they get to learn about where their food comes from, what happens in our paddocks, what the weeds are, what happens in our shearing sheds, you know, and took them to our little one teacher school. You never know where it could lead. And where it has led is that I was sitting at the pool with them one afternoon because we took them to the local free pool in Hay, which is great. And one of the local Sandy Simons was sitting there and he goes, where are all these kids from? And I just told him the story and he goes, we need to get these young people back here. And Chris Bowman, who is another fantastic sheep classer and well-known, he was the uh, manager of the Audrey Station and looked after so many jackaroos for a very long time at Jillaroos. So he got involved too. So we all then just started talking about it, how we could get young people back into our Hay community and how important it is. And so we, we just set up a bit of a community meeting and Chris and Sandy wrote a great letter, which I sent out to all our landholders if anyone was interested in the community. And the communities came in and backed it straight from the start, which was fantastic. So we still, you know, it'll be coming into our 10th year. So what we set up was a hands-on skills training, but it's not just about the hands-on skills and the training. It's about the people in the community. So it's networking and mentoring. And But, but I guess it's a bit about the humans, Ollie, which is <laughs> um, what you're all about and which may, is a huge point of difference because I get calls from parents or young, you know, young girls starting who came from Tassie in our second year that we were doing it. What sort of swag should I buy? And just those little information that they might like to know and and what we can pass on with our people on our committee and, and all our volunteer trainers. And so now you're running three different groups throughout the year? No, we just keep it to one, but we do three weeks blocks, so three one-week gotcha. blocks. So what happens is we have 15 people, 18 to 25 years. We do one week in February. In that week, we start off with, we. so we have some accredited training, which will be TOCAL trainers and TAFE. So we use that first aid workplace health and safety because we want to keep them all safe from the start and then some crack straight into the sheep handling. And so some of the accommodation is on farm, so we'll do it out on Wyvern Station at Carathool, which is great. They do sheep handling out there and quad bikes and motorbikes and things, and then they come back for another week in March, and uh, we've had great support from Australian Wool Innovation right from the start, and they'll, they do a three-day shearing school and we do working dog training, which is really popular, and then stuff like, you know, small engines, motorbikes, how to, you know, maintain those. And then they come back again in June uh, and do another week with fencing and sheep classing and we do lamb postmortems and cattle handling on that day, yeah, and pregnancy scanning and things like that. So it's a great way for a pathway for a young person to find their people as it's, we find straight out of school or, you know, a couple of years in and they're still sort of struggling to find their way in agriculture and find those networks. And, you know, we've had 130 alumni now. We keep in touch with them so that we can keep keep sharing them opportunities and stuff and they make friends for life. It's just beautiful and to see that and and they connect with so many people in our community and we graduate at the Hay Merino Sheep Show so they get to meet a lot of industry people there and to see where some of these these careers are going from some of these young people is so, so rewarding. It's just just fantastic. 
And so 10 years on, do you still find that you've got the same passion that really ignited that flame back when you started it? We've got an amazing committee who have stayed together, like, and yes, absolutely still got the passion. And because, you know, a lot of volunteer committees are looking for volunteers to be on, you know, boards or whatever. Gosh, I don't have to worry about that. Our committee is fantastic. And we were fortunate to receive some government funding the last few years, which has changed my role from a volunteer role to a program manager's role, which is great so that I can concentrate on doing Hay Inc. and not having to be too many other side hustles. So, yeah, the passion is still there. And it's about the people. You know, you go through times where you go, oh, another grant to have to write. When I see that that development of those young people, you know, this year we had quite a few that were straight from the cities, a couple from Melbourne. They're great Aussie rulers, great for the hay lines, <laughs> playing. And a couple of boys that were jackarooing out at Carathul, great for the hay cutters. So straight out of school too, but just to see their development is when they start out not you know being pretty green, which is understandable. But the great thing about the program is that we also have you know 18 to 25-year-olds. So you might have some ones that have been in the industry a bit longer and, you know, they learn from each other as well. So so having that age group is great. We did start with younger ones. I do get a lot of interest from other parents wanting, you know, 15, 16-year-olds, don't want to be at school, want to be in ag, what can they do? But, yeah, just you know, when you've got 18s and under-18s together in, in a social aspect, it can be a bit tricky. So being, you know, volunteer community, we've found that works better if they're over 18. So. And what about for you, Sandra? What have you got out of being involved in these different areas, these different things and initiatives and community groups? Uh, I just think the friendships, the skills, like I've learned so much. Gosh, I'm doing a podcast today. Wow. (laughs) Like I've learned and I've made so many networks. The other thing that was really rewarding for me was when the ACT New South Wales Agrifutures Rural Women's Award for the Hank Project in 2017. And that really put us on the map too, along with some publicity from ABC Landline as well. And just the networks. I remember always looking at that. It was the Ritterick Award then, and then it changed to AgriFutures that year. And, and looking at that, the alumni, and I go, oh, I'd like to be one of those ladies one day. It was just a little thing in the back of my mind. I'd love to be part of that alumni. I'd like to be able to connect with those women and just was so excited to be a finalist. And we were in Sydney and then um, Matt came up. He left his carving heifers, which is very unusual for him, <laughs> and to be awarded it. I, uh, he goes, I didn't think you were going to win it. I'm going, neither did I. <laughs> so that was a huge experience for me and just great for Hay Inc. to get so much recognition to and help. And, you know, that was back in 2017. I'm going, oh, who knew that, you know? And even when we started that, you know, workforce and young people and finding a pathway for the career in agriculture was so important, you know, to me back then. And, and you know, it is still now. So, yeah, it was it was such an honour to receive that award and to then be able to put it into a document and call it Engage Ag. So because what happened was I'd get a lot of people calling me going, so how do you do Hay Inc? How do you set it up? How do you run it? I'm going, oh, it's all in my head. We've got awesome community, great volunteers and great people that had drive it as well, Sandy and Chris and Richard Cannon. And, but how can I pass that on? So that really helped me put that into a document. And now, I, you know, I can have those conversations with other communities that do want to set one up that's similar. I haven't seen anything that's exactly like us, but every community is different. So they sort of morph it into what works for them. So it's good to see and when it's it, replicated. Well, that then benefits them, doesn't it? If it's created local for local outcome, it, it benefits really the way that they're doing it and they're not just trying to nearly create like a franchise and 
a playbook. Yeah. And do you see a career start now that the National Farmers Federation are rolling out, which is going really well, and one of the girls who runs that is on our committee too, so she's from the Hay District. So it was great because when I got the award, I went to some workshops on that and sort of passed on a lot of knowledge about what we did and what worked and what didn't. And to see that program now is really rewarding too because it's like we couldn't do it. We're just a group of volunteers and run in our community. But when you can see other other businesses and it being replicated is great. Absolutely. Now, you have been involved in a few, let's call them professional development programs, obviously Rural Women's Awards, but also the Red Meat Ambassadors. So- That was one which I guess you've done a little bit more recently. What was it that got you to throw your hat in the ring for that? And what was it that interested you around that? I think I saw it advertised and I saw that there was training and professional development. You sort of, I try and find bits and pieces. I remember uh, years ago, I I did an online Twitter training course. It was small business and I used a lot of Twitter early on. And I had found that really great for connecting with media. And I thought, I really do need to learn a few more of these up-to-date social skills. And I just thought, what a great idea. Back to that live export thing, you know, educating people where our food comes from being so important. So I was so excited to be accepted into the program. And gosh, it was just from the first few minutes of just the information they were sharing about the statistics on talking to the consumer and what I was just loving that. I think I'm kind of a marketing kind of person that really liked all that stats on, you know, what, you know, what they're thinking when they're buying something in the supermarket and and all that, that surveys they do and the information they get back. But also being in that room with industry, like right from the food handling, you know, the food processing people to the chefs to to producers like myself, having us all in the one room and getting getting that feedback and and then learning how on that program, learning how to communicate effectively with people and ed- to tell your story. So yeah, it was really, it was a great two days and just the networks I've made from that, you know, we've kept in touch and we have a closed group, Facebook group now to share knowledge and skills. And I think it gave me confidence that if I do share something, I have the backing and I have the understanding and know how to do it because it can be a bit confronting on social media, you know, if you do say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing and having that understanding of what's the right way to do it and the you know the respectful way to do it too so social media can be a pretty nasty place at times so and we don't want to bag other people either so I think trying to get to that emotional level in a in a communications way and yeah sharing what I do so what I took from the Red Meat Ambassador Program, as I was so motivated when I got out of there that I um, set up within a week, I set up a <laughs> Facebook page and social media called Livestock Live. So just sharing what we do. I haven't got a huge amount of followers, but I'm getting there and I probably need to put a bit more up, but just sharing what we do and how we do it and having some photos and and things like that, just as another way of putting it out there. Uh, and then I was also, through the Red Meat Ambassador Program, able to go to the Sydney show for one day and have a day on this stand. And that was great, talking to the general public about food and meat, red meat, and how they, you know, understand their understanding of it. And and then also talking about careers too, because there was young people coming through, which was great to, to pass on some knowledge there. So that was really rewarding too, because I thought, wow, you know, I am producing the red meat for these beautiful families that live in the cities that don't get to experience what well, I'm so lucky to eat. You know, I eat all my own produce. So it's sort of, you know, you're thinking you're doing a pretty special thing when you're, you're growing food for people, because you, you know, keeping them alive. And it's such a 
big part of our world that we need to to keep you know keep people fed so I, that was a really light bulb moment for me at the show too you know just the number of people coming wow. through from the cities and it was great to see so many school teachers coming through there too actually and then the other thing I have been able to do with the program too is the MLA do a farm talk series with schools through uh, education and platform. So it's a Zoom into the classroom. So I have been Farmer Sandra and I talked to Kinder Year One too. So I've done a, a couple of days doing that, which we just I send in a lot of photos and videos and the program, they put it together a slide and we discuss some of those key points about sort of safety, but keeping it at that kinder year one, two, you have to make it very um, understanding for that, that age group. So I've got a well, great video. I was going to say, what, um, the kids can be pretty funny. What have been some of the, the good questions or, oh, or moments yeah. you've got from the classroom? <laughs> We've had some funny ones. Um, yeah, well, I got a quick one was like, how many teeth do sheep have? And I'm like, oh, I just have to count them for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I can see them do you in know my that, head. Ollie? How many teeth do they've you got? Know how, many, how many teeth do the sheep have? Um, eight. No, it's 32 because you've got the ones at the back. Everyone thinks oh. of the little four on the bottom. <laughs> And then there's there's 32. I was counting. I, I think I said 28. So it's like, what are you doing once? So then, yeah, so things short, like that. I was <laughs> yeah. Well, because, you know, you think of two tooth, four tooth, six, yeah. and then I started going, oh, yeah, then there's the. <laughs> so then, oh, yeah, just things like uh, how long are their legs? And there's a big question about poo and manure, and, which is great because we can then discuss how that breaks down and is great for our environment and our soils and bring that part into the conversation too. But, yeah, I have a great little video of a heifer that's just had a calf and she's licking the calf and they sort of said, is she eating it? And they're explaining that it's, you know, like when you have a bath and mum or dad or, you know, parent gives you and rubs a towel all over you and makes you warm and, and snuggy. <laughs> so keeping that at, at that age group. But, yeah, it's hard because you're talking to a screen and you don't see the kids, but there is the Kimberlin education lady who asks the questions and things and we go through our slides and I bring my family involvement into it and show photos of my children planting salt bush, which is now, you know, as high as the cattle and the cattle eating it. So it's a great to show that, you know, what we've done with our environment and planting of, you know, for species of plants. So hopefully the teachers and the children take that home to their parents. And it's hard because you don't want to go too much into, okay, this is how the red meat gets on your plate at that age group. But, you know, we can keep it as positive and give them an understanding as much as we can. So, yeah, it's been a great experience. And so I'm so fortunate to that Red Meat Ambassador Program. And if anyone else wants to apply, now's the time, I think. It's really, really rewarding. And it's just, yeah, it's opened a whole new network to me as well, which is great. So I've got a couple of questions. One that I think while we're on the theme of schools that I ask everyone that comes on the podcast, but if you have the chance to go and chat to year 10 students about a career in agriculture, what would be your message to them? I say to them, agriculture is such an amazing career that you can be part of. You don't have to have grown up on a farm. If you eat meat and you wear clothes, you're part of agriculture right from the start because it has to all come from somewhere. And it's also about the people that you can work with and the opportunities that you can be part of a team and it's so rewarding to what you can to get out of it. So you don't have to have a lot of academic skills and you may not have to do a lot of writing and things like that. You can learn 
by practical training on a farm um, with other people. So, And from that, you can take it wherever you want to do. If you want to go to university and take it down that path, but then, you know, there's technology and things like that. So a part of our Hay Inc. program now, we've tried to bring in bits and pieces there, like with our pregnancy scanning things, and I have a drones that I use on our farm and show them bits like that. So, And some of the applications that people are using now for for online, you know, managing their properties. But yeah, so bringing in, you know, that the technology, but also that I guess with our Hay Inc. program, technology is a great part, then everything's moving ahead in that area, which is great. But people you still need to learn those basic livestock handling skills and how to look after animals and what they need and their needs and their health requirements and their welfare. And, and that's sort of a very grassroots sort of training because then bring in the technology. But if you have that basic understanding of managing livestock and handling them um, in the correct way, in an animal you know, welfare and the ethically way, then I think all that technology and other support out there can take it further with having that, that understanding. Well, I think we're both definitely on the same page there. I think it is. There's just so many opportunities and the amount of work that you're doing and have done is extraordinary. So thank you for all of that. And thanks for coming on for a bit of a chat today, Sandra. It's been great. Well, thank you so much, Ollie, and thanks for sharing your podcast. It's great. I, you know, it's, it's an hour a bit to town, so I listen to them quite often and can punch one out, which is or two or three, on the way in and out. So it's great for you sharing these stories to inspire, you know, other people. And yeah, your stories that I listen to inspire me too. So I hear what others are doing and see how I can perhaps put that and bring that into my my pathway yeah and it can be hard the pathway for young people into agriculture so it is great any stories that you can share so that they can see you can't be what you can't see and I guess another little quote that I always use to motivate me if it's like if it's not me then who and if it's not now then when so that's something that that gets me going they're very good words to live by well that's it for another episode from us here at humans of agriculture We hope you're enjoying these podcasts and, well, if you're not, let us know. Hit us up at hello at humansofagriculture.com. Get in touch with any guest recommendations, topics or things you'd like us to talk and get curious about. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, rate, subscribe, review it. Any feedback is absolutely awesome and we really do welcome it. So look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane. We'll see you next time. See ya.